everybody. My co-host Hazuri and I are excited to be here today and even more excited to start our conversation. Our guest today is Juan Bendania. Juan is a sought-after speaker, author, and DJ who speaks on high school and university campuses as well as at conferences internationally. He speaks to over 50,000 students, educators, and parents across Canada and the United States every year. This summer, Juan partnered with BME to be our youth ambassador. His advice for teens is featured both in the BME app and on our social media channels. He's the author of 12 Keys, How to Live Fully, Achieve Greatly, and Lead an Epic Life, which helps students build better habits, boost productivity, and optimize their life. Juan gets students excited about engaging with their schools and communities and uses storytelling, humor, and live DJing to highlight a message that has a lasting impact that sticks with students far beyond the speech. On the personal side, I hear he is a former snowboard instructor, a sushi expert, and fun fact, Juan can recite every word of The Lion King. Juan, anything you'd like to add? And we need to know, what's your favorite track on The Lion King soundtrack? Ooh, I think you pretty much covered everything. (laughs) And my favorite track has to be Circle of Life. That's kind of mandatory. I was going to judge you if it wasn't. A little, yeah, yeah. What an absolutely impressive background, Juan. We're so happy that you're here with us today. And there's clearly a lot to talk about. So let's talk. Yes, absolutely. Welcome to Being Me, Juan. We like to start our Being Me podcast by asking you to tell us a little bit about teenage Juan. Did you have a nickname? Were you confident or shy? Did you participate in school activities, sports, debate, drama? What was Teen Juan like? Ooh, Teen Juan, I'll take you back to... 15-year-old, 14-year-old me was the kid with no confidence. He was the kid that consistently doubted himself that on the outside, he wore a filter of what people wanted him to be and would go to school and go to functions and be in friend groups and seemingly had it all together. But on the inside, I really struggled. And 14, 15-year-old me really struggled with confidence, really struggled with the ability to just accept the person that I was because I felt like if I wasn't a certain way, I would be judged. I didn't realize at the time that you are judged anyways, that people will judge you no matter what. And I was that kid that was terrified of messing up, of not doing things correctly and of speaking in front of groups, which is ironic because now that's what I do as a career. I am the speaker that used to be terrified of speaking, but I was really just afraid of being judged and people having a certain opinion of who I was and how I was perceived. So I really struggled internally in school. Externally, it seemed great and everything seemed like it was together. And, you know, I had an amazing family and great friend group, but no one really knew of the struggle and the stress and the anxiety of just trying to be a certain way to fit into a box of what I thought people wanted me to be. And we can dive in a little bit to that story and sort of like what got us here now, because I feel like a lot of the students that I get to hang out with throughout a given year, a lot of them are kind of in that process and in that moment. But I was the kid that like enjoyed sports, really liked going snowboarding. I was part of drama, but was terrible at it and didn't really excel in school because I didn't have the confidence to be able to invest in myself. So then I thought, so what? What's the point? Doesn't really matter. And that kind of led me and those moments I see as pivotal because they led me to the person 
that I am today. So I was that socially awkward kid that couldn't make eye contact with people, couldn't talk to the girl that I really had a crush on and went through school just trying to navigate it and figure it out like everyone else. Wow. I never would have guessed, but I guess that's the point, right? You never know what someone's truly experiencing, what they're going through, what they've gone through just by looking at them or how they carry themselves or how they get on stage and and talk to the world. And I just appreciate you sharing that. I think that resonates with me. It resonates with, I'm sure, folks who are listening today. I have to ask, how did you start to build that confidence and just start you know, working on yourself or seeing things kind of shift and change in the way that you spoke to yourself, the way you felt, the way you talked to yourself? Oh, that is a great question. And how much time do we have? (laughs) Because there is so much there. And I think this is where everything changed for me in. I had this idea that confidence was innate. It was something that you were born with. And there was confident people that just naturally were that way. And Anthony, that was also in my grade, was just always like that. And I was someone that didn't have the confidence. And so I was never going to. And I realized that was the furthest thing from the truth. I realized that confidence comes from, and there's this idea that confidence comes from competence or skill set. That is partially true, but it isn't the whole picture. What I did and what utterly changed my life and changed my ability to feel confident was being able to act based on the goals that I had for my life as opposed to the way that I was feeling in the moment. Because I was the kid that was constantly lazy or want to procrastinate or didn't want to do the thing, talk to the girl, give the presentation. And I realized that there was no one that was going to put in the work to give the presentation to go say hi to the new friend for me. It was on me to do that and to take that action. So I think confidence is rooted in the willingness and the decision to say, I'm going to do this thing that makes me feel uncomfortable. I'm going to do this thing that is going to stretch me. I'm going to do this thing that's going to make me grow. And it was the same thing that I applied to speaking. I was terrified of speaking in front of groups. So I understood that's exactly what I need to go do. I was terrified of making new friends and talking to people. So I realized that's exactly what I need to go do because confidence is a skill set. It's a skill set that comes from consistently putting yourself in a situation that you may not ideally feel 100% comfortable in, but it's a place that, wow, that didn't go as bad as I thought. Wow. People laughed and I actually did pretty well. Wow. She actually agreed or they actually agreed to go on a date. And it gives you feedback and it gives you proof. So I feel like what allowed me and what kind of led me to feel more confident was consistently taking action on things that I didn't necessarily have confidence in at the beginning, if that makes sense. I love that. And I love that you focused on the things that you can do to take action to build that confidence. That confidence isn't something that just happens to you or that you're innately born with and have or don't have, but it's something you can create, you can build, you can do the work, you can make the effort. And you highlighted some really concrete steps that I found really helpful. Yeah, as I mentioned in the introduction, as one of the top youth speakers in the country, you speak at both high schools here in the US and then also internationally. Can you share with us a little bit about the work that you're doing and what are some of the core messages that you want to deliver to teens? What's the one thing that you want teens to remember about one of your talks? I know you just spoke about confidence, but other nuggets for us would be really helpful. 
Yeah, I think it's important to kind of share where it was rooted in. Why I started doing this seven years ago was to give the advice that I wish I got from someone I would actually listen to because I would get all of this amazing advice. And looking back on it, I realized it was really helpful, but I didn't take it because it wasn't coming from the right person or the right vehicle. So I was like, wait, I can do that. And I can go give that message. So now in any of the schools that I go to, college, university, campuses, high schools, student leadership conferences, my message is very simple. It is a few things. Number one, it is sort of this umbrella idea of building confidence because I genuinely believe that confidence is the number one skill set that a student, but not only student, a human can build. If you have more confidence, you will feel happier. You will have better relationships. You will get further in your career. You will make more money. Everything improves. But built on that confidence, there are a few steps before that, which I think the first thing, it's really three things. Number one is taking ownership and sort of what we were alluding to before, taking ownership for the things that you can actually do. Because a lot of people fall into the trap of and make the mistake of blaming external circumstances for their lack of results. Well, it's the town that I'm from. It's the school that I go to. You don't get it. I'm socially awkward. I just procrastinate often. You don't understand. It's COVID. It's the situation. So then we make all of these reasons that may actually be valid, but they deter our progress. So I think the first takeaway, the first nugget that I give is really understanding that no one will change our lives for us. And yes, we can have amazing support systems. We can have amazing reasons like be me, literally. We can have incredible things that I wish I had when I was in school, but it's not enough. What needs to happen is you need to be able to take the action to open the app. You need to be able to take the action to call the friend. You need to take ownership to say, I'm going to do the work and I'm going to put in effort. I'm going to be the one that's going to read. I'm going to journal. I'm going to wake up earlier. I'm going to make a list of things I'm grateful for. So the first thing is taking ownership. The second thing is telling a different story. Because the truth is that for whoever is listening to this, that if you were to talk to other people the way that you talk to yourself, you would have no friends. And I'm all for being kind to others. Don't get me wrong. But I think it is way more important to start by being kinder to ourselves. And I think that starts by telling ourselves a better story. Because it's never when it comes to doing the things that we want or feeling better about ourselves or letting go of stress, it's always a story that we have in our heads about ourselves. So I do my best to try and get students to understand we need to change the narrative that we're making up in our heads, just like I'm afraid of the dark. No, you're not. You're afraid of the perception of something under the bed. That's a story. It is not rooted in facts. It is rooted in perception of the facts. People are not afraid of speaking in public. They're afraid of being judged. They are not, a, because if you were in a room in public with no one in it, you'd be able to talk. It's when you put people in the room that becomes the problem. It's a story. So the second thing is really changing that narrative, changing that story. And then the third thing is taking action on those things because there's a lot of great ideas that we can have and everyone has a great idea. But what's really scary to me is thinking about five years from now, even for me personally, five years from now, 10 years from now, 25 years from now, the person that I could have become or running into or bumping into the person that I could have become. And I remind students of this fact of you really only get one shot and you have to make it count. And what will make it count is not the ideas that you have. It is taking action on those ideas because a lot of people have great ideas. But the truth is that 92% 
of Americans that set goals in a given year fail miserably because they stay as ideas. They don't take action. So those are sort of the three core concepts with this overarching umbrella of confidence that we dive into for most presentations. I love that. I feel so inspired just listening to you speak about this. I mean, it definitely sounds like your work with teens is more than just a job. Where did all of this passion and the mission-driven focus that I'm hearing come from? What inspired you to do this work with teens? It was having a really challenging time accepting the person that I was and trying to put a filter on my life to please people whose opinions at the time I didn't know, but were actually irrelevant. And I realized I was like, wait, I've figured some things out around being more confident and being more of myself. I went from someone who felt like they needed to be someone they're not, that could not be confident, that was socially awkward, that would literally start shaking when they would be in front of 10 or 15 people. And now I regularly speak to 5,000, 6,000, 9,000 people. How did that happen? I was like, wait, I can draw that line and show students this is how you actually do it and who you are and your circumstances aren't fixed. And the reason I do it is for, you know, the 15 year old that has no confidence, the 16 year old that feels lost in life, the 14 year old that has no friends that hates their parents or thinks that they hate their parents that feels like they have no one and they feel like they don't have any other option. And I can go in there as a friend, as a mentor, as a guide, as someone who's just a little bit older that they're like, wait, this guy is like, is he kind of like a student? Like he's not a teacher. This is weird, but okay. And I can be that person and getting the message from a student literally this last week of, hey, you like, I know you don't know who I am, but I heard you speak six years ago. Or I know you have, you probably don't remember, but I saw you speak three years ago and I wanted to let you know that you changed everything for me. And I genuinely don't believe that I'm so special and that I changed their life. I don't think a speech changes someone's life. I think a speech allows that person to make certain decisions that will change their life. Yeah. So that's really powerful. I, I, I would say it's, it's fun it's, hearing you say that. <laughs> it's for that. It's the kids that, oh, I can't eat. It's like, it's hard in a good way. It's hard to talk about. The kid that is like, I'm still here because you came to my school on September 7th. Yeah, that just like, it just destroys me. Like, not in like a bad way. I'm just like, that's why I have to keep on doing it for the one person in the room that needs to hear it. For that one person. I really like that your work is so focused on young people because I think teen voices are often overlooked and left out of the conversation. Yes. Can you share more about how you work with young people and how you include them in what you do? Yeah, I think a lot of the work that I'm doing now in, in going into schools and conferences and whatnot, before it was a lot of giving keynote presentations. And I would go in, speak for 45 minutes or an hour, and then I go home. And I love it. And I love what I do. But the one part that I didn't like is that I would go spend an hour or two and then I would leave. And there was great ideas, but then students naturally defaulted to the now what? Now what do we do with this? Okay, great. So I'm more so focusing my time and energy and effort on going into schools, into communities, into conferences, and not only doing you know a keynote, but doing like workshops and facilitations and deep dives where we can actually say, okay, here are some great ideas, but how are you going to use this? How are you going to implement this? How are you going to make this a part of your day, of your week, of your month, of your life? And I think it goes to show like what Be Me is doing is so great. And when we like initially had the conversations of doing this, why I was so immediately on board 
is because the continuation is almost as important as the spark. I think motivation expires. Momentum compounds. Question that I get so often is, I don't feel motivated. Of course you don't. Of course you don't. Our brains are wired to look for what's wrong. They're a survival mechanism. So then when we wake up in the morning and we have no sort of like cognitive filter and we wake up, we're going to think of all of the things that we're stressed because we're in this mode of like, well, I've got to be safe. So then what do our brains do? It looks for the person that cuts us off in traffic. It looks for that friend that's talking behind our back. It looks for that girl that we like that doesn't know we exist. It looks for that person that we really want to build a relationship with, but we just can't figure out how. So our job needs to be to not look for the daily strategy for motivation. It needs to be how do we build the program of momentum? And that happens not in one fail swoop. That happens in the daily build. So that's what I'm focusing on more of helping students understand and realize that things like this, things like be me, things like I'm going to do a challenge with my friends. I'm going to do a challenge with my student council. I'm going to build this as something that's more than just today is really where I'm focusing on my efforts on having them look at this as this isn't a one-off thing. This is something I need to continue on. And now I'm looking through every project that I do in the book that I'm working on with this literary agent for 2023, 2024, and more programs and things that I want to build are all through that lens of how do we create the daily wins that contribute to momentum as opposed to the one-off wins that create temporary motivation. That's so important. I also really like that you just structured your response around what you heard from one of the teens that listened to you speak. I want to hear a little bit more about that because I'm sure that your DMs are blowing up with questions from teens after each of your talks, after your social media posts. What else are you hearing other than motivation and confidence as top concerns of teens? And are you hearing different concerns from boys versus girls versus teens who are non-binary? Or what about urban, suburban, rural teens? Or are there universal concerns that you're hearing are shared by all teens, no matter what their background is? Yeah, I think universal concern across the board, bar none, doesn't matter in a school of 100 in rural Saskatchewan in Canada or a massive school that feels like a college or university in Nevada. It does not matter. The number one thing is acceptance, is fitting in, is feeling like they are a part of something, feeling like they belong, feeling like they matter, and feeling like they can be themselves, which for the most part, they can't. For the most part, a lot of students feel like they need to be a certain way to please the people in their school, the people in their family, their teachers, their friends, the people that they like. So I think across the board, it comes down to people just want to feel like they matter and they feel like they belong and they feel like they fit in and they're part of a community and they're part of something. And I think, you know, that goes to the idea of confidence that goes to the idea of feeling like they're important enough and they can be themselves because we're living in a culture where being yourself can easily be criticized, especially with the prominence of social. So then what do people do? They dilute themselves, they water themselves down, and they try to be this person that fits into a mold of what they think other people want. And I think the hardest thing is that now students are kind of afraid to be themselves because they feel like they could either be canceled, they will trigger people in their school or in their communities or in the world. And I'm finding this with student leaders at leadership conferences, part of student councils a lot. That's a really big challenge that they're having where they're like, 
I don't know if I want to share my voice because it may be polarizing. And I think what people need, people, not only students, need to understand is that you will. You will be polarizing. There's going to be people, and this is something that I need to say, and I think it is very important. It's probably the most important thing I'm going to say on this entire episode. There's people that are not going to like you. There is people in your school, in your community, maybe even in your family, maybe in your friend group that will not like you, that will judge you, that will criticize you. And that's okay. We have this illusion that everyone needs to like us. And we set the standard that everyone needs to like us. It is just the furthest thing from the truth. You have people that are in your corner that support you, that love you, that are rooting for you. And then there's people that won't like you, that aren't in your corner, that want to tear you down, that are haters. Here's a really, really good rule of thumb that I sort of live by. And I feel like it isn't accurate 100% of the time, but this is a very good rule of thumb for everyone listening. 10% of people will like you no matter what. These are the optimists of the world, the Zuri's, the Nehas, the people that are just look at the best in people and they just love it and they just like you for no reason. I consider myself one of these people. I like people for no reason. Like I don't need a reason to like people. I just love humans. I love being able to meet new people, all that fun stuff. 10% of people will not like you no matter what. These are people that got stuck in traffic that are just angry, that don't like you. They don't like the way that you look. They think the way that you sound is annoying. They don't like the way that your voice cracks. And that's okay. Just the negative Nancy's of the, I'm sorry if your name is Nancy. Then the other 80%, I believe, is up to us in how we present ourselves and how we carry ourselves and the values that we have and the kindness that we bring and the good energy and the good vibes that we create. But the majority of people focus on the 10% of people that don't like them and probably just won't because you're not for everyone. You're not everyone's cup of tea. And maybe you're latte and that's like so much better anyways. That's 10%. Most people focus on those 10% as opposed to the 90% that's actually has the potential of being on our side. So the one thing I'm seeing a lot of as of late from students on Instagram, from students in person is just how do I be myself? How do I stop caring what people think? And I think it's a lot easier said than done. But I think a core tenant of that is understanding that there are people that won't. And it's not an attractive thing to hear. And it's not a fun thing to hear. And it's not positive. And I consider myself a super positive person. But it's the truth. It's the reality. There are people that just won't like you. And making that idea wrong and thinking that they should and trying to convince someone that won't like you no matter what to like you is a losing proposition. And I think we need to focus our energy and efforts on the people that are for us and the people that are in our corner and the people that do like us that can help us build that confidence and feel great about ourselves. So that's what I'm hearing, I would say, most often. You shared what you want teens to take away from your talks, but what do you take away from the experience? What have you learned from these teens that you didn't know before? Ooh, I would say that what I've learned over the past seven years of doing this is that the number one Most important thing, not only as a presenter, as a speaker, but as a human being that is trying to communicate and and communicate an idea well, is authenticity. People have a really, especially students, students probably have the like highest level spidey senses in the game. People have a very strong radar for authenticity and you can just tell when someone's not being real. 
and when someone is trying to put on a facade. And I remember early on, I am just like first guilty person of doing this. Number one, absolutely calling myself out. At the beginning, I was so fake. I was not myself. I tried to be something that I wasn't. I tried to emulate other speakers that had already established careers. I would try and tell stories like them. I would try and be like them. I would try and do the same exercises and activities. And it didn't work. And it didn't land. And I wondered, I was like, why isn't this working? Why aren't presentations like, why aren't they going well? And I realized it wasn't skill set. It wasn't the stories. It was the authenticity. And now in doing presentations now, I've realized the best speeches that I've ever given are the ones where I feel most myself. And whenever conference or, or an event wants to bring me in and they are like, okay, we need you to wear a suit and tie. And I respectfully say no, because that's not me. If for those of you listening, like I typically 90% of the time and my friends know this and people at speeches know this, like I wear like shirt, a leather jacket or like a shacket. I know it's shacket season right now or like a bomber or like something. I wear like a nice jacket with jeans and maybe some like NMDs, some Adidas, maybe Chelsea boots. And that's just kind of my vibe. I'm not going to change that to check a box of you need to wear a suit and tie for this event because that wouldn't be authentic to me. And they say, well, no, all of our speak. I get that. I understand that is not me. If you'd like me to come in and be able to be fully myself, I need to stick to that and I need to do that. So I think for those of you listening that feel like you need to put yourself in a box so that you fit, it's just not true. I've been at conferences where typically they have the PhDs, the Olympians, the musicians, the Grammy award-winning artists. They have all of these people. And then they bring in this former socially awkward kid from Canada wearing leather bomber. And then they're like, well, this is kind of unusual. But the reason is, is because you can't fake authenticity. And audiences appreciate that. Students appreciate that, but people appreciate that. So if you ever feel like, oh, I need to be this sort of person for an interview or for just literally be you, be me. That's yeah, that's the game. That is the game. Thank you so much for speaking with us today, Fawn. This was such a constructive conversation and I think it'll really help a lot of teens. We're so happy that you're part of the Be Me community. All right, Juan, before we go, I have one last challenge for you. In one line, What advice would you like to leave our team listeners today? Don't strive for perfection, strive for progress. Love that. Juan, thank you so much for spending time with us. It was so great to hear about your work and all of the advice that you've had for us. Awesome. Well, thank y'all for having me. I appreciate you for being such amazing hosts. 